0: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Welcome to Convert Centra I'm Kevin Sidik Lim, the host of Convert Centra and I'd like to welcome you to Season 3 of Convert Central. Our podcast focuses on the challenges that Muslim converts face along their conversion journey to help Muslims from all backgrounds to find a strong foothold in Islam Follow our Instagram and LinkedIn page at Convert Centra and I look forward to sharing with you all the beneficial series we planned for the year For now, I'd like to welcome you to Season 3 of Convert Centra Welcome back to Convert Centra so Alhamdulillah, we are at episode 2 of Thinking It True. And what happened in episode 1 was that we actually tied in that Instagram live with episode 1. In the Instagram live itself, we talked about an Islamic worldview and giving a framework to answer the questions that we are going to present in Thinking It True. And in episode 1 itself, we actually discussed about some of the concepts of why God, God exists and also give giving a summary of the Instagram live itself. So uh, following the progression of this series, Thinking It True is basically about addressing questions that um, Muslims, poor Muslims and also converts have when approaching Islam itself as a religion. So we try to follow a progression where after you have your questions answered in one particular area, where will you go and uh, have your doubts next? So for most of us, when we actually talk about God and we actually talk about the existence of God, after we have accepted that, okay, there is a God, most of us wonder next. So what does God look like? What is God? What is the essence of God? Uh, what can God do and God cannot do? And that that is what we will be addressing today. So today, we actually have two guests with us again. Uh, we have Brother Edison, who is a Chinese Muslim, and we have uh, Ustaz Dr. Mubarak once again. Uh, but before we pass on the time to Do- Ustaz Dr. Mubarak to explain the overview of what we're going to discuss today, and to also touch on, on some points to finish up what we discussed in episode one, I'd like to get Brother Edison maybe to introduce himself. Maybe Brother Edison can tell us what you're doing, how old you are, and maybe just one or two points about some doubts and questions you have coming to Islam.
1: Hi, everyone. Actually, my name is Edison Tan. My Muslim name is uh, Amriel Tan. I'm 25 this year and I'm currently doing working in PA, uh, People Association, wow. uh, helping the community. Yeah, so serving people. And um, I guess one of the questions that addresses to me during about doubting wow. when it comes to Islam, whether if I have any doubt, definitely. Um, I believe everyone has. And my doubt is more of like, if God is real, what life can be behind, I think, like, when we go heaven, you know? And the other question is, like, do everyone actually enter heaven or is hell for eternity, you know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, so that's a question that I always ponder about even uh, before I converted, yeah.
0: Alhamdulillah. All right, so uh, I also know before we recorded the podcast that you actually took your Shahada in December last year. So it's been six months in. Uh, we actually wanted to catch people like you uh, early on in their conversion lives to actually really tap on the doubts you have and try to answer them. So uh, we are blessed and uh, we thank Allah for getting you to come on uh, and spend your... Uh, Tuesday night with us to record this podcast and uh, yeah so this is these are some doubts that our brother Edison have we attempt to answer them in this podcast and some episodes after this episode as well um, at the end of the podcast we'll check in with how maybe the structure and the answers that we have provided whether it helps with his uh, doubts or not so I will now pass on the time to Dr. Mubarak who has been with us in our first episode to listen to what are his works and what, what roles he is currently involved in and was involved in do check out episode 1 but right now I'll give him some time to actually touch on some points to finish up episode one. Bismillah.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Brother Siddiq and also Brother Edison for joining us for today. Now, in this episode, we'll be dealing with several questions on the essence of God and the attributes of God that has been asked. Now, these questions that we ask are are perennial questions that were asked throughout the history of humankind. However, before we go into this discussion, I would like just to make some remarks in relation to the various arguments Presented on the existence of a transcendent being where we Muslims call Allah. Now, there is an argument presented since the 18th century Then this argument continues to be presented as a valid way to denounce the existence of God. Now, the argument goes like this. If religion were to be true, why are there then Christianity, Judaism, and other religions with different messages? If there are multiplicity of religions is therefore a proof that all religion is false. This line of argument is accepted by Karl Marx and is one of his arguments for the rejection of religion. Now, the fallacy of this argument is that these people identify the expression of sacredness, a term I defined in the previous episode, within a particular religious universe to be God itself. And since there have been other expression of absoluteness in other religious universe, they were led to the denial of the absolute itself and to claim that everything is relative. And therefore, there is no such thing as the sacred when all things comes from. Now, the answer here is that the very multiplicity of diversity and the diversity of expression of the sacred in different religious forms far from negating the existence of the one. It only confirms the richness of the source of all that is sacred, the infinite creativity of the divine origin of all things. Now, a simple example here will be siblings within a family are different from one another. They are diverse physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. This, however, does not negate that they come from the same pair of parents. The same goes to the different expression of the sacred in the forms of the different religious universe does not negate the existence of the absolute. Right? So for you to catch uh, the, uh, the various arguments that we have presented, uh, the cosmological argument, the ontological argument and the teleological argument on the existence of God do go to the, the first episode for you to be able to catch through.
0: Alhamdulillah. Thank you, Ustaz. Um, so uh, just one or two comments before we also carry on to the next portion, uh, which is what we're going to answer in this episode. I think I think that's a very good point that Ustaz shared. Uh, I think even within Islamic the, the Islamic tradition itself, as a non-Muslim coming into Islam, I also learned that Islam has a perspective of to contextualize why there is the existence of different religions. So that's how uh, Islam, in a nutshell, understands the existence of different religions and I think what Ustaz shares really really uh, appeals to situations where we have these kind of questions. So I'll move on to this episode and like we mentioned this episode will be actually dealing with questions of another type about understanding God. So I'll list out some of the questions that we attempt to answer today. And subsequently, Ustaz will give an overview about how we understand God as Muslims from the Islamic worldview itself. So some questions that we try to address today is, is that, um, what is the concept of a higher power? Um, why do we need to submit to higher power? Why can't Allah create another Allah? Why can't God create another God or destroy himself? And some questions like, why why does God make us go through this life if God has the power to enter all of us into heaven without judgment? So questions like these are some questions that we attempt to answer. But we will start by getting ustas to actually give uh, an overview of the episode itself. Bismillah.
2: Now, let us get to answering the questions on God's power and will and other attributes by first asking the question, how do we understand and describe the absolute? In other words, how do we know about God? after establishing that God exists. Okay? So now the human intellect reason can reach the conclusion of the existence of a transcendent being, but it is slightly incapable of encapsulating the nature of this transcendent being. The intellect reason requires assistance in order to comprehend the nature of God. Now from the worldview of Islam, which we have described in our IG Live session, the very reason for revelation of Islam, the Quran and also the prophetic tradition, which I will address in subsequent episodes, can be said to be the unveiling of the complete and total doctrine of the nature of God. In Arabic, we call it Allah. Now, every authentic religion has sought to reveal God's unity and the different aspects of his infinite reality, some emphasizing one element, some another element. Now, Islam seeks to present and to depict to the extent that is possible for the human language to sustain the total doctrine of the divine nature. Because here you have talking about an infinite using something which is finite to be able to transmit it over towards the human being. Therefore, the nature of language also comes into play and how that language itself is is able to encapsulate that whole idea of the transcendent being. Now, Allah, the supreme reality, is at once God and Godhead, at once transcendent and imminent. Means it is at once different from creation, and at the same time, close and similar to creation, infinitely beyond and infinitely close to human being, majestic at one perspective and merciful at another perspective. He is absolute, infinite, and the source of all goodness. He is the origin and the end of all things. He is the creator, sustainer, and also the destroyer of the universe in the sense that he gives both life and death. So all things return unto him. All positive qualities which we observe in the universe, such as beauty, goodness, and power comes from him. And he is the source not only of being of the universe, but also of all of its quality. Now, that is a a summary of how the Godhead is described within the worldview of Islam. So you can see, somehow or another, there is this duality that we always look at. Majestic and beauty. Mercy, forgiveness. Right? Uh, rough and forgiveness. So this needs to be looked from these two perspectives. Now the Islamic doctrine of God emphasizes beyond everything and above everything, which is His oneness. So therefore we say that Allah is one, the one who neither begets nor begotten. So we cannot be brought, he who cannot be brought into any relation which would in one way or another eclipse his absoluteness, the one who has no light and there is none light upon him and the one who is indivisible, the oneness of God, which is emphasized so much in the Quran refers to, the, refers to God's essence. Or in Arabic, we call it his Zat the essence of him. However, God also has names and quality. The Quran itself not only refers to God as Allah or as He, but also constantly as the source of mercy, the forgiver, the sustainer, the knower, the hearer, the seer, and so forth. These names which the Quran calls the beautiful names of Allah, Asma Allah al-Husna, are the means whereby Allah reveals Himself to the humankind. Now, like the supreme name of Allah, all of these names contained in the Quran and the prophetic tradition in the Arabic language are the sacred names of Allah. And by it is by these names that Muslims are invited to call upon Allah according to the Quran. To Allah belong the beautiful name. So call him by these names. There is a whole science of the divine names, a whole subject matter that deals with the divine name, which is based on practically all the Islamic sciences, whether it is theology, jurisprudence, or even philosophy. Now, Muslim thinkers over the ages have written countless books on these divine names. Among the famous one is, of course, written by Imam Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali, a 12th century uh, scholar, which is known throughout the Islamic world. Each name of Allah is none other than his essence and therefore is a path towards that essence and yet it reveals a particular aspect of the divine nature. So the names of Allah is a describe, is, is a particular description of his, of his essence. So by taking the name, by remembering his name, there is a path that we go towards in getting closer to him. Now, for us to understand better due all right. uh, to our limitation of our intellect reason, our Muslim authorities, our scholars, has divided the names into two groups. Right, The names of beauty and the names of majesty. Those aspects of Allah which relate to his mercy or his forgiveness belong to the first category, including the name Ar-Rahman, which is in reality the name of the divine essence as alluded in the Quran itself. Now, it is from this name that one might say the whole creation issues and with which, in fact, the Quran itself begins for the chapter, commences with the formula, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Both the name Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, which I call it the twin attributes of mercy. The twin attributes of mercy as do also names such as Al-Karim, the Generous, al ghafur the Forgiver, and the Lights. Such names represent aspects of Divine Mercy and are among the names of the beauty. In contrast, the names have the names that is having to do with justice, judgment, and rigor, uh, such as al Adl, the Just, As-Sari'ul-Hisa, which means that Allah is quick, in reckoning the accounts of humankind have to do with the aspect of divine majesty and they are among the names of majesty. Names of majesty as well or names of beauty manifest themselves in this world. That is why our life is also interwoven by rigor and mercy and the religious life in Islam at once emphasizes the importance of justice and the importance of forgiveness, the importance of Allah's wrath, which must always be remembered, and the significance of his love and forgiveness for his mercy, for his creatures. Allah sees and judges our action, and yet he is merciful when we repent and return back to him. It is important for us to be able to see the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from these two perspectives. Now it is also important to remember that the Islamic conception of Allah emphasizes very much his omnipotence. Allah is powerful over his creation. Furthermore, he is the knower of everything great and small. Allah has at once complete power over his creation and knows all of his creation. Therefore, a Muslim should live in a way, that has to be aware constantly of his power, dominating every moment of the human's life and his knowledge of all, whatever that we do. Allah watches over all of our action and judges us accordingly. Now, this emphasis upon the power of Allah and his judgment must be balanced by the emphasis placed upon his mercy. So if you just look at the power and the balance, then you will see that it is a God who is always very angry. Okay, but then if you emphasize too much on the other aspect, then where is where is just coming from? So therefore, both in contrast to what many people think, Islam emphasizes very much the mercy of Allah and has already been mentioned, every chapter in the Quran begins with the twin attributes. So therefore, the twin attributes is repeated, at least uh, it is repeated 114 times within the Quran itself for Muslims who are doing their prayers, we repeat the name Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim more than 17 times a day. Because in our prayers, we must read our Surah fatiha Because that is a must for us. So, so it reminds us right, about Allah's mercy, the twin attributes. Now, the word Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, right, you have this, there is Muslim scholars, they help us to understand this by saying that, it is for us to understand. It's not that the names has a hierarchy. Doesn't? Allah does not require hierarchy. Those hierarchies, those order, is in order for us to be able to understand God. Because God is beyond the descriptions. But in order for us to understand it, we need to describe him with languages that we ourselves understand. That's why he is both transcendent and immanent That immanence is that language that we use to describe. So these two, two dimensions. So, now, the hierarchy of Allah's names, uh, Ar-Rahman and Rahim, in a sense, present, a descent from the divine reality. Allah through the all-embracing mercy, so Ar-Rahman is a true all-embracing mercy, to the individual mercy touching a particular human being, which is Ar-Rahim. So, Ar-Rahman could be said that it is an inclusive, all right, it is general, everybody, Al-Rahim is a particular it's like the sky that embraces us all and is luminous and Al-Rahim is like the particular ray of sun which emanates from the sky to touch us individually to enlighten us to illuminate us and to bestow warmth upon us in the coldness of the life of this one. likewise the significance of the Quranic teaching of Allah's wisdom combined with the dominance of his will, so the questions about will and power we cannot just understand the idea of will and power on its own without looking at wisdom, All right, In the affairs of human being, cannot be overemphasized. Of course, other religions also teach that God is omnipotent and omniscient, and such a teaching is not unique to Islam. It is mentioned also in the Torah, in the Gospels. In Islam, however. This principle is particularly emphasized and integrated into our religious attitude of everyday life through repetition of statements like, inshallah, if Allah wills. Such formulas punctuate the everyday activities of the human and remind him that the will of Allah dominates every moment of the human life. We live always according to his will, whether we like it or not in the sense that his will dominates over the world. But also, this is important, but also he has given us freedom from our human point of view so as to live with our own choice according to his will. Meaning that we are given a choice whether do you want to submit to his will or not. There is therefore a reciprocity between completely powerful will of Allah and the human will. To human being, he has given the freedom to use their wills to follow his will and to surrender him. The whole question of determinism and free will, which has occupied so many Muslim thinkers over the ages, is deeply related to this question to which we shall turn later after we describe the nature of the human being and see how they are interrelated in our subsequent episode. Now, The most important teaching as far as the nature of God is concerned is to be aware of the emphasis upon the Quran and the prophetic tradition upon the power of Allah's will and the domination of the whole of reality by His will in conjunction with His omniscience, in conjunction with His wisdom, in conjunction with His mercy, in conjunction with His His justice, His forgiveness. So those things need to be taken into perspective. Therefore, it is very important in trying to understand the Islamic concept of Allah to remember that for Muslim, all right, Allah is not only the creator of the universe, although of course he is the creator. This means that his creation to the universe is not limited only to the beginning of things. It's not like the idea of the clockmaker, which is an idea that came right, within the Renaissance philosophy. Okay, what is renaissance, you go back to episode number one. I've talked about renaissance. Rather, Allah is also the sustainer and the end of the universe in the sense that the universe returns to him. So the Muslims live with the awareness, not only that he comes from Allah, but also that he is sustained at every moment of life by him and that he finally returns to him as does the whole creation. Finally, one must re-emphasize the balance in Islam between mercy and justice. The pages of the noble Quran are strewn on one hand with the terrifying images of judgment and punishment of those who have done evil, and on the other with descriptions of paradise and the blessing bestowed by Allah upon those who have performed good acts. The Quran does not cease to emphasize the mercy and his forgiveness, the sacred book continues to remind us that He is forgiving and merciful. Hence, the importance of repentance (tauba) within our percept, uh, our our worldview, and the request for forgiveness. Human beings should always ask for God's forgiveness, and if He asks for His forgiveness from the depth of His heart, Allah will forgive His servant. Therefore, there is again here an interplay. Of the deepest kind of a deepest kind between the aspects of mercy and of justice or of beauty and majesty in the sense already mentioned. To gain to a full understanding of the nature of Allah, one must keep both aspects in mind.
0: Uh, Alhamdulillah, thank you, Ustas, for sharing. So uh, I, I will share some of the thoughts that came into my mind when I was, I was listening to Ustas. I think, firstly, it's, it's it's something that we have to touch on when we are talking about Allah, about creation, about uh, about Tawheed. And that sometimes we think that uh, it's such a long explanation. And when we have questions in our minds, we, we, we just want an answer. You know, we, we, don't, we don't necessarily want context. And it's probably because around the, everything around us now, we, we really like bite-sized content. But we also recognize that we, we, we really want to have a absolute certainty in what we believe in our faith. And that requires a little bit more knowledge than simply the answer itself. So that means context, that means understanding of different considerations and elements that uh, have a big part in our answers. And which is why, when we talk about how we human beings understand God and how we uh, know about God, we have to first understand the nature of God and the nature of human beings and how we interact. So I think another learning point for myself is that it's, it's interesting that, um, as we've all reviewed worldviews that we discuss on our Instagram uh, live, that the way we approach the worldview, the way we learn the worldview, most of the time isn't uh, our own perception or isn't isn't our own derived understanding. But rather, we, we learn the worldview from the bits of knowledge that Allah has given to us, that God has given to us through the uh, sacred scripts like the Quran that teaches us how to view Allah or view God through His names and His attributes. So I think this is something that is interesting to me. And uh, the, the fact that there is duality really also appeals to me a lot because... Um, we also tend, myself, I, I also tend, as, as just a, as a human being living in the world today, I tend to see things in a very one dimension and also very absolute way. That I feel like that's, that's because we want the easiest um, way to understand things, um, like emotion, if I'm angry or if I'm, if I'm sad. I, I tend to see things one way, but the very fact that us human beings and the way we feel, it, it's really a spectrum. We, we, are, we, are, we are beings with many different dimensions to our own thoughts and our own perspectives, our emotions. So the fact that religion has also duality and also operates on the spectrum when there, there are bits of um, religion that is not only relevant to the man who requires repentance and, and, and forgiveness, the, the mercy of Allah, and it also there are parts of religion that also appeals to the man who needs to know the wrath of Allah before he can stop uh, sinning due to the fear of punishment sometimes. So I think this is something that is extremely special and intuitive to myself that, that I've learned from uh, the explanation of Ustaz. So I will pass my time to Brother Edison just to get a little bit of his reflection before we pass our time back to Ustaz.
1: Okay, thanks. Uh, I think for me, my question is God is absolute, right? I mean, God is uh, creator of all mankind. So we always believe that he had the power to do a lot of things. But why he put us here I always think that it could be the reason why he want to test us, you know, hmm. put us through a test. And then uh, we all want a bigger crash. I mean, we all want to an answer, but then we don't want to hear a longer story. We just want to jump into conclusion, like what said uh, said, right? Yeah, Yeah. so we wanted that, but then that's, that shouldn't be the way, because I guess sometimes in order to, for us to see the bigger picture, we need to slowly gaps. What is actually going on behind it. you know like the reason and why god do this why god do that so i guess my question mostly are more of like a personal thing like heaven hell you know mm-hmm. life beyond uh after we die
0: yeah thank you thank you so much <laughs> i think i think that was that was quite a chunk Thank you so much, Brother Edison. And I'll pass my time back to Ustaz. Uh, and we'll get him to also move on to the next part where we actually explore questions such as the power of Allah, whether he can create something as powerful as him, or maybe can he uh, destroy himself. Questions like that, we'll pass it to him to address it.
2: No, after understanding the essence and the absoluteness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right, we go into the attributes. Of course, the attributes, the names, they are interrelated to one another. But a question about the power of Allah: Where can He create something so powerful like Him and destroy Himself? Right? And there are questions like, Can Allah create a rock so heavy that He cannot carry? Oh, so those those kind of questions that comes about. Sometimes these questions are malicious. Some of them, alright, they really want to. Okay? but we have a, we have a, we we see it that people wants to find out. So therefore, we try and provide right, a relevant explanation for this. Now. In order for us to understand that whole idea of power again, all right, we are required to go back, uh, number one, to the previous episode first, all right, on God's existence. Okay? There are three arguments that was presented. Now, after establishing his existence, we will now look at other attributes that is necessary for him. These attributes are meant for us human beings to understand him. He is independent of all this. Now, it is beyond this description of what we have. Our inability to understand his essence requires us to know him through what we know about ourselves and then negate that for him. Uh, Let me explain further what I mean by building the premises for the arguments, beginning with the establishing of the existence of God, just taking a bit from the episode number one. Now, it is among a self-evident truth for those with sound intellect that all possible existence need a cause for them to come into existence okay? the world is a possible existence therefore the world coming into existence must have a cause so we talk about this the causal relation yeah and you cannot uh regress infinitely yeah the regression infinitely is something which is impossible you need to stop somewhere now for the premise that we say all possible existence or contingent things needs a cause It is obvious because every contingent thing exists at a particular time and the mind can imagine it coming earlier or later. It is therefore follows for it to exist at that particular time and not at the later or earlier one. It requires of necessity that which particularizes it. What does it mean? It means that I could born in your era, but I was born in another era or I could born in 20 years later but it particularizes that I am born in this particular time. So there needs to be something that has made this possible from a non-existence that it comes into existence. So that's what you mean by a contingent thing. So a contingent thing, the mind can see the possibility that this thing came into existence. It could have come into existence 10 minutes later, or it could come into existence three years later, or it could have come into existence, all right, I could have come into existence during the time of the Prophet and live as a companion of the Prophet. But no, I came into existence at this particular moment in period. So there must have been something that has brought me into this existence. So that's what I mean by a contingent being. Right? A contingent. Therefore, in order to particularize it, it requires something that already has an existence to bring it upon existence. Okay. Now, for the claim that the world is a possible existent, or we say that contingent thing, why is the world contingent? Because when, I, when I'm when i born, the world is there. I didn't even see the world come into existence. Neither would I see that the world will not come, will not will go into existence, uh, non-existence because by the time I've died. I died already. Okay? So we have not seen that. But the proof of it is that the bodies, the things that make up in the world are always either, we are either in a motion or we are in a rest. At rest. And both these states are possible states or contingent states. And everything that is never independent of contingency must itself be contingent. So the world is made up of bodies that are either in motion or at rest. And motion and rest are contingents. Therefore, if you are not dependent upon, if you are in, you are not independent of contingent, you must be contingent because the world itself is rotating, is moving. If uh, the world itself is moving, therefore, from the above proof, the world is contingent and therefore it requires a cause. As we have discussed, the cosmological argument and the ontological argument, all right. This cause we call it God. This ultimate cause we call it God. Now, following from this, the knowledge of God is beginningless and eternal without there being any beginning to his existence. And moreover, that he is prior to each thing and precedes all life and death. Now, the proof of it is that if God is contingent, let's give this possibility. If God is contingent, if God is a possible being, he would require an originator. And his originator requires an originator. And this would go back in an infinite regression, which is illogical, as we have described in the previous episode. Now, either that or it would be, it go back to an external originator who would be the first. And that is precisely what we are discussing now. What we call the creator of the world, its maker, originator, and initiator. So God is beginningless. So there is no beginning in God. In Arabic, you call it kidam. So kidam Uh, beginningless means I negate I negate a starting point whereas all of us has a starting point. Now, once this is established as the knowledge of God is beginningless, He is also endless. There being no finality to His existence. The proof of this is that if He would ever cease to exist, this would either only be either by Him either possibility if let's say that he goes into non-existence. This God transcended me goes into existence. How can that happen? Only two possibilities. One possibility, either by him bringing an end to himself or a rival power bringing an end to him. Right? These two possibilities. If it were possible for a thing whose perpetuity is conceivable to become non-existence, it would also be possible. Now, I I repeat that. eh? If it were possible for a thing whose perpetuity is conceivable to be non-existence, means that it's continuous life or a continuous existence, it is possible for the mind to think that it will go into existence. It would also be possible for the thing whose non-existence is conceivable from the very beginning. If it can go into non-existence, it could also be that it was non-existence at the very beginning, which means that it needs to have a beginning. But we have already proved that God has no beginning. So therefore, that premise cannot be there. I cannot use that premise. Okay. Now, the falsity that he can become non-existent by a rival power that causes the non-existence because that which caused non non-existence would it eternal. Would not be conceived as having an existence alongside it, meaning that it is illogical for the creator who would be able to coexist with that rival power in the first place. The fact that he created that rival power means that is a creation, and how can it be of an equal power to him? The more powerful will be God instead of the one that is destroyed. Now as God existence and eternity has been established by the two previous principles, so how could one conceive of any rival sharing his external existence? Now it is likewise impossible for the rival who causes non-existent to be a contingent entity. Since contingent entity given its opposition to eternal entity, would eliminate the eternal entity's existence. You all have to listen to this one more time. And the contingent entity is not in a superior condition relative to the eternal entity. Given that the contingent entity's opposition to the external entity would prevent the eternal entity from becoming non existence Rather the prevention will be easier and the destruction and the eternal entity would be superior to the contingent entity. Now this is now this is the richness of our Islamic intellectual tradition. The questions that we have, our past scholars, they put them in proper logical arguments with proper premises and they thought through this whole thing. So therefore, the idea that God creates another God who is so as powerful as him and can destroy him, that whole question itself answers itself because God creates. So if God creates, the the other being is a contingent being. And a contingent being is always opposite to the eternal being. And a contingent being can never be the same and never be as powerful as the eternal being because the contingent being's own existence is dependent on the eternal being. So well, that question in itself, answers itself. Okay? If you cannot understand the, the, the premises that was given in terms of explanation, by looking at the answer, that answer that, that question answers the question itself. Allah, so, you have to listen to this one more time and listen it slowly and write it down. Okay.
0: Uh, we pray that our podcast player has a function to slow down the podcast, maybe to 0.25 speed so that we can catch every word. That was it. Um, but as, as Ustaz has mentioned, um, definitely when we ask big questions like this, the answer is never just a simple yes and no, and then just a paragraph of answers. It requires a lot of understanding and explanation. And the beauty of Islam is that there is an explanation. And the question itself doesn't outsmart the entire proposition of what Islam is proposing but rather Islam really proves that the question itself even answers itself. And then the the premises to this question is, is just not logical, it's not possible by the way that we understand God in his attributes. So subhanallah, uh, I think today we have covered a lot of different spectrums in which how we, we can understand God and how we can quell some doubts in our minds regarding the existence of God and, and what God is. And we've, we've also covered certain questions, the answers to those questions in which um, non-Muslim might come to Islam and think about when it comes to uh, conceiving what God is. So we hope that uh, we also uh, would like to reiterate uh, given our uh, IG Live and also in our episode one that we, we don't intend to give a definite answer. To these questions definitely you know uh, to most of us when we listen to these answers because of how limited we are in our intellectual capacity as as human beings as we are creations we we might some of us might never fully encapsulate these answers for those who are able to then Alhamdulillah we we, we take the understanding and we, we be grateful for the understanding but if we are not then it's okay to have more questions it's okay to ask and follow up questions to understand better so for those who want to understand better, do reach out to Commerce Central. We'll be happy to direct your questions to to Ustaz Doctor Mubarak as well. Thank you so much, Ustaz, for for sharing the entire you know, one forty five minutes worth of content with us. Um, I'd like to do to have a small favor for you, Ustaz. Uh, before we end the podcast, for those who have slight difficulties understanding the entirety of the uh, podcast episode, maybe you could give us a, a summary so that you can maybe, uh, you know, be a stepping stone in your understanding and for those who just want to understand the entirety of what the podcast represents, you could give us a summary and then inshallah we'll end the podcast for everyone here. All
2: right. uh, well, to summarize the whole discussion that we have about the nature of God and all the various arguments, is said that within the Islamic doctrine is based on the revealing of the total nature of a divinity who is one without partner. This is the heart of the Islamic message. Islam came to the world so that men, human beings, would know about the whole idea of the unity of God, the unity of Allah. The Prophet, peace be upon him, right, said, say there is no divinity but Allah and be safe. Of course, he did not mean to say only in the verbal and external sense of the term, but rather to make a declaration of faith on the basis of understanding. Therefore, the testimony of uh, faith, the shahada, already contains the complete doctrine of Allah because it takes away from from the divinity, all relativity, all otherness, all duality, and presents the knowledge of Allah has been based upon his unity. Allah is the one, the absolute, the infinite, and is also infinite goodness and mercy, and the source of all that is positive in the universe. He is the source of all reality. To him belong the fact the hidden treasures, as the Quran asserts, the treasury from which all things issued from. This is not, There is nothing in the universe, not a blade or a grass or an ant walking upon the earth which is not known to him and whose life is not ordained and protected by his will. Human beings live in a world utterly dependent upon Allah and open at every moment of time and point of space towards the transcendent which is Allah. Islam emphasizes the extreme transcendent of Allah who is beyond all that can be said of him, yet he is extremely close to us. As in the famous verse that he says, we are nearer to him than his jugular veins. test to Allah is even closer to us than ourselves being close to ourselves. On the one hand, he is utterly beyond and infinitely above us, and on the other hand, he is at the center of our very being. That is why he has said, Allah has said, the heart of the believer is the throne of the compassionate. That's the summary of the whole nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wallahu alam.
0: Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much, Ustaz. And uh, to clarify for. Uh, our non-Muslim listeners when we refer to Allah it just simply means God in uh, the way that non-Muslims would refer to them it's, it's God uh, and uh, Ustaz can also uh, correct me on this Allah means uh, God in Arabic language right? the one God the one God okay Alhamdulillah so thank you uh, for Ustaz and for Brother Edison to come up with us on this podcast normally we don't record podcasts as longer than 40 minutes if you have been following season 3 but it's an important topic it's a topic that we really, really want to discuss in full detail and which is why we've elected to, to make it a longer podcast tonight. So as usual, any questions, any doubts come onto our platforms. Let us know. Uh, we'll get you in contact. We'll, we'll try to find a way to address the questions or start a discussion together. And for the rest of us who managed to uh, take away a little bit from this podcast, continue to make the for Commerce Central that we are able to push up official content and at this point I'd like to uh, thank Ustaz uh, Dr. Mubarak and also Brother Edison time for coming in and get uh, Ustaz Dr. Mubarak to end this session for us by reciting Tasbid Kafara
2: and Surah to Bismillah Sallallahu Muhammad wa ala wa Thank
0: you, Ustas. And do catch us in episode three of Thinking It Through, where we discuss about uh, in detail God's will and man's will and how we how we explain and understand that perspective. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. wa